Now, today we have Rich Conwisher with us. Rich is a senior pastor at Peachtree Church in Atlanta, Georgia, where Brian was a teaching pastor for many years before coming here. And Rich is a thoughtful leader, a great pastor and leader and friend. And I first met Rich when I was a college student right here at Holland Park Press, and Rich was our summer college intern. And I was thinking that was 2006. No, it was 1996. <laughs> and I, Rich, I don't remember anything that you taught us that summer. But what I do remember is you taught us how to country dance and line dance, because you taught me how to swing dance. So thank you. Let's welcome Rich Conwisher to our pulpit. Love you, brother. If you think it's hard to bring somebody into the kingdom of God, imagine trying to teach him how to country and Western dance. <laughs> it is so good to be with you and to share with you the collective embrace of the Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, a church that grieves with you and yet grieves with the hope of the good news of the gospel. And so on behalf of my congregation and all of the prayers and the love that we can muster, it is an honor to, to stand with you today. It, it was in 1996 that I was first in this congregation. I got to preach twice in the chapel. I asked Clayton Bell if I could preach in the sanctuary that summer, and he said, no. So I have finally made it from the chapel into the sanctuary at this moment in time. It is amazing how it's been. I mean, Brian Dunnigan was with us for 13 years at Peachtree. I've known Brian for 26 years, ever since he came up to me at a college party with a dog-eared copy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship when he was 18 years old. And I knew that there was something remarkable and strange all at the same time <laughs> about this young man. And it's been amazing to hear the stories that remained beneath the surface but have come to light over the course of these last couple of weeks. My, my favorite story by far is two different brides, because Brian started out in young adults ministry before kind of getting a teaching ministry. And when he was doing young adult ministry, he was kind of the natural person to be asked to do a wedding. And there are two different occasions where brides would not allow Brian to do their wedding. And the reason was, I tell you the truth here, because they said, because he looks prettier in his black robe than I do in my wedding dress. <laughs> and I am not going to be upstaged by the pastor on my wedding day. Both a mentor of, uh, of Brian and of mine just collectively share um, story after story. And, and as we've been swapping stories back and forth, I. I just feel like I, I want to say to you, you're welcome because you got the best version of Brian over the course of the last decade because we had to smooth out the rough spots 
in 13 years of him at Peachtree. He lived in the basement of this one family right as soon as he got to Peachtree, and there was a high school boy in there, and he taught him a game of ping pong. He taught this high school boy a game of ping pong, and you know Brian was really athletic. And the game was you would play to five, and if you lost, you had to lift your shirt up, and the other person on the other side of the table got to hit it as hard as possible at you. And so this high school boy goes upstairs to see his parents, his shirt's off, he's got welts all over him, and they're wondering, why did we let this person from the church come and live in our house? But this same mentor of mine, um, Vic Pence, he, he says, I imagine Tim Keller and Brian Dunnigan right now in heaven shredding their sermons and throwing them into the fire and laughing about how every single message that they have preached is nothing but a glimpse of the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived the glory for those who love the Lord. And that is the glory that we all want to discover, experience, and tap into today. One of the things that is true for me, it's true for Brian, it's true for all of us, is that most of us are the product of the people that have been willing to invest in us. Just as your stewardship is about investing in the kingdom, there's that personal stewardship of what are you doing to invest in the next generation. And I remember this specifically for me being in the eighth grade. I was at a church camp down in the hill country at a place called Mo Ranch down south of here. And there was there was this old small group leader who, I mean, looked like he was still alive during the age of Moses. And this was, you know, the 1980s, and he had those gym shorts that were spandex and too short, and he had, like, those athletic glasses with the safety on the back of it at all time. With, and, and we didn't love him because he was cool. We loved him because he wasn't cool and he didn't care. But he loved us. And for a week, we played games, we shared, we did all kinds of things, and we got to the last night of camp, and we're thinking, we're going to get to play all of our favorite games, we're going to get to share together, and he broke us up into pairs, and he said, for our last small group session, I just want you to take the next hour and a half, and every single one of you is going to memorize Psalm 23 before I let you go on for the rest of the day. And we're kind of like, oh seriously? It's the last day of camp. Do we have to really do this? And we were kind of moaning and complaining about it. And he just said, enough. Trust me. One day, you're going to need this prayer. Fast forward 14 years, I'm a solo pastor of a church in the New York City metropolitan area when September 11th breaks out. And I'm standing in the living room of a family of a father and a husband and a son that didn't come home because of the attack on our country that day. And the family is desperate. What can you tell us? What do you have for us? Is there a word from God? And I go over to the family Bible that was sitting on a counter and I open it up and I go to Psalm 23, verse 4, about, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with 
me. Someday I did need that prayer. There's been other times when I've needed it personally. Here's what I've discovered as a pastor. When you go through a crisis, you cannot dig a well. When you go through a crisis, you can only dig off of the well that you, you can only draw off of the well that you have already dug. And so for a moment today, I'd like for you and I to draw deeply over the Bible's most heartfelt, most known, and most beloved prayer. And we're going to go old school today. We're going to recite it together in the King James. So say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. While this prayer may be familiar to you, do you recognize that this is like a movie that takes place in three acts? That there's kind of three visual scenes or settings for this prayer? That it begins in green pastures? That it continues through a dark valley? And that it ends up in a home? A green pasture, a dark valley, and a house. And not just any house, but the house of the Lord. So first, let's talk about those green pasture moments. Those moments where everything seems to be going well for you. Those moments where there is nourishment and life and energy and love and abundance around you. I remember back when I used to live in San Antonio, Texas, and back when we lived in San Antonio, Texas, we had a golden retriever by the name of Zoe. I want to show you a picture of Zoe, this great golden retriever dog. Um, Lord, help me to become the kind of person that my dog thinks that I am is one of the greatest of prayers. And I loved to run, and Zoe would love to run with me, and I remember taking the dog to the vet this one time, and the doctor and I, the vet, were talking about, do you like to run? Yeah, I love to run. He's like, does your dog run with you? And he said, do you make your dog lie down after your run? I'm like, nope. He said, when you run in the Texas heat, dogs are so sometimes so clueless about how hot they really are that your owner will have to make you lie down in a time for you to recover which is what strikes me when we read about the green pasture moments in our life when it says, did you notice how strong this verb is? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Because you and I have an incredible tendency to take for granted those green pasture moments. And if we're not careful, we're going to have to remember to lie down and to soak in 
those kinds of moments. But life is not always about green pastures. For the first scene is about the greenery of that lush setting, but the second scene is about the darkness of a valley. Now, I had studied the Bible my whole life. I had a doctorate. I had no idea, and maybe you knew this already, and I was just clueless. Did you know that there is a place in Israel called the Valley of the Shadow, that that's actually a real place? That there is a valley that runs from Jericho to Jerusalem with a very narrow portion of it where the road would go in between and that it is dark for most of the time of the day in that valley. You remember a story in the Bible where it's the story of the Good Samaritan where a person is walking between Jericho and Jerusalem and in doing so falls upon the hands of robbers? That's because in the valley of the shadow, it was dark even most of the time, and it was a dangerous road to be able to walk. But it was a real place. The valley of the shadow is a very real place for us as well. It was April of 2016 when my wife had to undergo heart surgery even though she was only 42 years old, her aortic valve was failing. And the surgery was a success and she recovered and we moved to Atlanta later that year. And in moving to Atlanta, she went back for what was supposed to be one of her routine tests. And in that routine test, the doctor said, I see something I don't like. And so there was the anxiety that kicked up from that and that we needed to do even some more tests. And these tests were going to require sedation and an even deeper dive of looking. And so I'm pacing and I'm waiting in the waiting room when the doctor comes out in his scrubs and he looks at me and he puts his arm on me and he says, she's going to be okay. And I said, What was it? What did you see that was not okay, but now is okay? And he said, it was a shadow. It was a shadow on the scan, but it's going to be okay. I don't tell you that story to say that death itself is the shadow because I don't believe that that is the case. I believe that death is the enemy. And yet you and I will have moments in our lives where we will live in the darkness of that shadow of death that hangs above us. And here is the challenge that we have in faith in the green pastures moments of our lives. We have a tendency to just kind of keep walking when we need to lie down. And in the dark valleys, we have a tendency to lie down and to stop when we are supposed to keep walking. Hear me this in church. You were in a dark valley moment and you were not supposed to stay here. You're supposed to keep walking. And that doesn't minimize anything about the darkness and the valley and anything along those lines. The point is that you wake up each day and you're supposed to keep moving through that valley because that is where God desires for you for a different destiny. Why can you keep walking? Why can you keep doing this in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death? 
the reason that you can keep doing this, and Hebrew poetry is far more precise than our American counterparts, is that there are 57 Hebrew words in the 23rd Psalm. There are 28 words that leads up to one word, and then there are another 28 words that lead to the rest of the Psalm. And right there in the middle between the 28 and the 28 is one word that is smack dab in the middle of that prayer, and that one word gets translated as a whole phrase into the English, for thou art with me. The literal heart of the most beloved prayer of the Bible is the rock-solid assurance of whether you're in a green pasture moment or whether you were in a dark valley moment that God is with you. It won't be long before we're celebrating Christmas. Look, the virgin is with child, and her name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then you flip to the end of the book of the Matthew, and as we've been talking about with baptism, that we're called to make disciples of all nations. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are things that not even your pastors can unravel the mysteries of for you, but this one thing of which we are sure, you and I are not alone, that our life is in the care of another, and that we have surrendered our own lives and our own kingdoms to the kingdom of God. God is with you. And so there are these three scenes, a green pasture, a dark valley, but then it ends up in a home, and not just any home. This home is the very house of God. What is a home at its best? A place where you can be yourself, a place where you can let your hair down, a place where the lights don't shine so brightly that you feel like that you're performing. A home is a place where you can truly relax. A home is a place where you can experience the fellowship. And according to this scene in the house of the Lord, there are three images. Did you notice these three images in the house of the Lord? That there is oil that is being poured over the head, there is a cup that is running over or overflowing, and there is a table. Oil being poured over the head could be the symbolism of this is such a treasured guest, like when we see oil being poured over Jesus's feet. It could be in the shepherd imagery, the oil that goes on the face of a sheep, because in the ancient world, they would put oil on the face of the sheep to keep the bugs away from the face. It could be the oil of the fact that King David is the one who is praying this originally, and it is the, the, it is the kind of the oil of the fact that we are royalty in the sight of God. Don't really know. Could be all three. There's oil on the head. There's a cup that's running over. It is a cup that never runs dry and is always full. And then the strangest image for the long time that I didn't understand that in the house of the Lord that there is a table and your enemies are present? This is not a tab- an image of heaven that I was super excited about. Until you realize that what this image means is that at God's table, everything is reconciled. Everything is made right and new again. 
May that be a little bit of good news for you as you go to your Thanksgiving tables, <laughs> that there will one day be a table where everything is well and every conflict has been destroyed. That's an image that our world needs right now. So there are moments when we need to lie down in green pastures. There are moments when we need to keep walking through the dark valley. But then there are these moments where you know that you weren't meant to live in the green pastures or the dark valleys. Your destiny and mine through faith in Christ is the very house of God where God will come to dwell with us. There's a true story that Eugene Peterson tells of a couple by the name of Fred and Cheryl who adopted a young girl who was five years old from Haiti. She was up for adoption because her parents had tragically been killed in an auto accident. And so this young girl, Addie, comes to live with Fred and Cheryl. And they wanted to make a good impression when Addie got there. This family had three teenage boys who eat like ravenous wolves. And so they set a, a table, a dinner, and they said a prayer, and then the boys started just eating this food, and little five-year-old Addie had never seen this much food in her life. And so she was joining in, and they were encouraging her, and she got to eat. And she was starting to relax and enjoy herself a little bit, and then all of a sudden you could tell that she got sad, and she got nervous. And Cheryl pulled aside to Addie and said, what's, what's wrong? Addie's assumption was, because she had never seen this much food in her life, was that this was the only meal she was going to eat for a while. And so Cheryl took Addie by the hand and walked her into the kitchen and opened up the big refrigerator and opened up all the cabinets and opened up the pantry. Addie, you will never go hungry again. This is your home. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever perceive the glorious things in store for those who love God. There's another story of a guy who was a famous actor, and they were having some charity event up in the Northeast, and this famous actor could recite long passages of Shakespeare or reenact certain famous scenes that he had done from movies. And, and so people were asking him to do a variety of things, and he was taking suggestions from the audience. And there was, this, there was this old preacher in the audience who raised his hand and said, would you recite the 23rd Psalm? And the actor said, I'll make you a deal. I'll recite it, and then you can recite it. And so the actor recited it flawlessly, every pitch, intonation, cadence, pausing at just the right moments. It was flawless and beautiful, and people cheered. And then the preacher got up, and his throat 
was raspy from years of preaching. And he recited the psalm, and by the time he had finished, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Someone came up to the actor afterwards and said, what was the difference? To which the actor said, I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Right now, my question for you is, do you know the shepherd? Dallas Willard says, the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, is written on many more tombstones than it is on actual lives. Do we live the conviction that we all can, many of us, say by heart? Ken Ulmer is an author and a pastor, and I'll close with this, who says the end of the 23rd Psalm reminds him of those old Western shows, that every show is formulaic and it kind of ends in the same way, that the bad guys are kind of cornered in a place and the good guys surround them. And it's finally that they say, you're surrounded. Come out with your hands up. He says, if you look at the 23rd Psalm, it's almost as if that God is eventually in his goodness surrounding us to where there is no escape, that there's a shepherd in front of us, that there's a rod on one side, that there's a staff on the other, and that there is goodness and mercy following in the rear, that there's a shepherd in front of you, that there's a rod on one side, there's a staff in the other, and that there's goodness and mercy following you close behind. And so he says, so I'm coming out with my hands up. I'm coming out of the dark valley with my hands up. I'm coming out of despair with my hands up. I'm coming out of hopelessness with my hands up. I'm coming out of the way that I have living my life and I am now surrendering my life to the one good shepherd who can supply my needs and I am under the care of another. Trust me. One day, you're going to need this prayer. Maybe that day is now. This week, wake up, read it, say it to yourself. Draw deeply this Thanksgiving over Psalm 23. And he will restore your soul. And your cup will overflow. Let's pray. Our loving God and Father, we get it all backwards. We keep walking when we should lie down, and we lie down when we keep walking. And we forget that you have a holy destination for us to be able to dwell with you. And so pour over our head with the oil that lets us know we are a treasured guest. Keep our cups full. Invite us to tables where all will be reconciled and allow each and every one of us to know the shepherd. And so this Thanksgiving, help us to know that we are surrounded and that even things like goodness and mercy follow behind us ever so closely. 
And so, God, help us to draw deeply off of the well of your word. And will you enable us to join together in the greatest prayer that you've entrusted your people. And this we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.